0: I want to invite you to turn with me to the book of John, once again, John chapter 8. John chapter 8. I have always been fascinated by signs. I can remember going on vacations growing up, vacations in uh, my own family where I would actually take photographs of signs along the way. Signs, of course, can provide encouragement that you're on the right path. Uh, Signs can provide a a valuable piece of information. They might instruct you which way to go to, to view a given landmark. They may tell you how far away you are from a specific destination. Or on a more sobering note, a sign may issue forth a warning. Sometimes you may have actually heard a verbal warning. I remember when I was uh, a teenager going to Yellowstone National Park and looking at the amazing bubbling mud pots. How many of you have seen the bubbling mud pots? I can vividly remember, my dad doesn't like it when I share this story, but I I can vividly remember my dad leaned over and he said to my brother and me, Now boys, be careful. If you fall in, you'll die. That's what you call a verbal warning, a very strong verbal warning. Well, the Pharisees up to this point have failed to hear the verbal warning from the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus has warned them time and time again, and their unbelief in the Gospel of John not only surfaces time and time again, it continues to intensify, and we will see that intensity grow this day. As we discover what fuels the fire of unbelief in the Pharisees, my prayer this morning is that something would resonate with you today if you have not yet surrendered your heart to the Lord Jesus Christ and embraced the message of the gospel. For most of you who are followers of the Lord Jesus Christ... I want to tell you that there is an important message in this passage for you as well. And so be on the lookout, be a a good theological detective as we study this passage to see how it can radically influence how you live the Christian life. The title of the message this morning is Warning Signs of Unbelief. and The question I want to focus on is this, what drives the unbelief of the Pharisees? What's under the surface? What are some of the warning signs of unbelief? And so look with me, if you will, in John chapter 8. I would have you stand as we cut into the context from last week's message. We're going to begin at verse 37. This is what the word of the Lord says. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, says Jesus to the Pharisees, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. Pharisees answered him, verse 39. Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing what Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You were doing what your father did. They said to him, we were not born of pornea, We were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and I am here. I came not from my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. We pray with me. Father, there is so much in this passage this morning, and I pray that you would give us eyes to see the truth as it unfolds. Lord, I pray for anyone here today who is like the Pharisee, who is resisting, who is holding back, who has failed to find their satisfaction in a relationship with God through Jesus, that today would be the day of salvation. For those who are followers of Christ, I pray that today would be a day of encouragement, a day of challenge. God, I pray that if there are some who are making a profession of faith to follow Christ, but on the sidelines that today would be a day day to get in the game and to seriously pursue this relationship with Jesus, to make bold steps into the future uh, by the grace of God and for the glory of God. Lord, as we pray each week, week, we ask that you would do a a good work, a work of grace here uh, amongst your people at Christ Fellowship. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The outline for the message this morning is uh, very simple as we uncover the warning signs of unbelief. I simply want you to see that there are four very crucial warning signs that emerge in this passage. The first is found in verses 37 to 42, and we see that the Pharisees reject something. They reject what I want to call a walk of faith. The Pharisees rejected A walk of faith. I want to show you four specific ways that they reject this walk of faith. The first happens in verse 38, where Jesus says something very interesting. He says, I speak of what I have seen, seen with my Father, and you do what you have heard from your Father. That is to say. The Pharisees refused to believe in Jesus. That's the first way that we see that they are rejecting a walk of faith. And what Jesus does in verse 38 is he draws a sharp contrast. You see it again. He says, I speak what I have seen with my father. And in this one sentence, Jesus draws some very important theological conclusions that the Pharisees have yet to understand or embrace. He reminds the Pharisees in this verse of his eternal origin. The Lord Jesus Christ has existed from all eternity. Indeed, he has from all eternity been in a relationship with his Father. He is co-eternal and co-equal with God. Jesus is God in the flesh. You see, the scriptures say that God is truth. He is truth. And so the Lord Jesus says, as he draws this contrast, I speak what I have seen with my Father. Here's the contrast. Speaking of the Pharisees, you do what you have heard from your Father. You do what you have heard from your father. And immediately, what pops into the minds of the Pharisees is Father Abraham. But Jesus has something completely different in mind, as we will see. The present tense verb do in verse 38, where he says, You do what you have heard from your father, suggests a perpetual kind of behavior. You do what you have heard from your father. And here we see the perpetual behavior that is emerging, as we have seen over the last several weeks from the Pharisees, is that they are rebelling against authority. They show and demonstrate an attitude of autonomy. Simply put, they want to do what they want to do. Jesus won't tell them to do anything that they don't want to do. They are given over not only to an attitude of autonomy, they are given over to an attitude of self-worship. And so Jesus says in a nutshell, listen, you refuse to believe in me. There's a second way we see that they reject a walk of faith in verse 39. They immediately answer, as I noted, they they pop in their minds to Abraham. And they say in verse 39, Abraham is our father. Abraham is our father. Yet what Jesus wants to indicate here is that they not only refuse to believe in Jesus, they actually refuse to walk in the path of Abraham. Imagine being in the shoes of the Pharisees. As they are saying, listen, Jesus, Abraham is our daddy. Abraham is our spiritual father. And Jesus says, no, actually, you Refuse to walk in the path of Abraham. Let me show you why. Hold your finger in John chapter 8 and go back to the first book of the Bible in Genesis chapter 15. One of the most important passages in all of sacred scripture emerges in Genesis chapter 15 verse 6. Genesis chapter 15 verse 6. Let me read this passage and draw out some implications. Here we see that Abraham, in verse 6, believed. That is to say, he placed faith in Yahweh. He believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. Here we see that Abraham, the father of, The father of believers, he is justified by faith alone. He believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. What we see here in John chapter 8 is that the Pharisees are refusing to walk in that path. That is to say, that is to suggest that the Pharisees, as they come to Jesus, are not in a position where they are justified. They have not received right standing with God. You say they they are they they have it worked up in their mind, like many people in our culture, that the way they find right standing with God is by what they do. They find right standing with God by how much they give to the church. They find right standing with God by how involved they are in ministry. But Jesus says, you've got it all wrong. You refuse to walk in the path of Abraham. You have failed to believe the Lord. You are not justified. Over and over, we have looked at Romans chapter 4, verse 5 together that says, And the one who does not work, but trusts him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted As righteousness. You see, the Pharisees want to work, 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 and find right standing with God. Like many people in our culture, as I've already indicated, we want to do, 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 and then we believe that God owes us something. Well, God doesn't owe us anything, does He? Rather, we believe and we are counted as righteous based on simple faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, there's a third reason. There's a third way where the Pharisees reject this walk of faith. Look with me at verse 40 and 41. Jesus says, But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You were doing what your father did. Here we see that the Pharisees simply refuse to marvel in Jesus. Instead of marveling in Jesus, notice what they do. They plan to kill him. Instead of delighting in Jesus, they want to destroy Jesus. They prove they are in league with their father, who Jesus identifies here in a moment as the devil, as they plan to carry out their murderous intent. So don't miss the gravity here is all along, the Pharisees' framework is, Abraham is my daddy. Abraham is the man. He's my spiritual father. And Jesus, all along, as we'll see in a moment, is thinking, no, you guys have got it all wrong. Your daddy is the devil. Your daddy is not Father Abraham. Your daddy is the devil. Or there's a fourth reason we see that they reject a walk of faith. And it emerges in verse 42. Jesus says to them, If God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. And of course, we've seen over and over and over again where Jesus affirms that the father sent him to die for sinners the fourth way then that the pharisees refuse this walk of faith is they simply refuse to love jesus jesus argument is essentially this if god were your father that's a big if if god were your father you would love me my mind immediately jumped to first john same author as the gospel of john where john the apostle wrote in first john chapter 2 verses 15 to 17 Stop loving the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but from the world. John says the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. And so you see, the Pharisees refuse to believe in Jesus. The Pharisees refuse to walk in the path of Father Abraham. They refuse to marvel at Jesus as the second member of the Godhead. And of course, they refuse to love Jesus. Such a person, I want you to see, rejects a walk of faith. I want you to see the second mark or the second warning sign of a person. Who is not in a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Here in verse 43, we see that the Pharisees rejected not only a walk of faith, but they reject the word of God. Notice verse 43. Jesus says, why do you not understand? Mark that word understand. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. The Pharisees reject the word of God. Now, again, put put yourself in the shoes of the Pharisees. These are the theologians of the day. These are the scholars of the day. These are the educated. These are the erudite. But Jesus says, hold the boat. You have rejected the word of God. What is the reason for the rejection? There are two reasons that Jesus helps us to understand why. First, he says they cannot understand it. They cannot understand the word of God. Again, verse 43. Why do you not understand what I say? The word understand comes from the Greek word gnosko. Gnosko is the Greek word that refers to head knowledge and heart knowledge. You see, I have head knowledge that 4 times 4 equals 16. We all have that amount of head knowledge, but heart knowledge means I not only know it in my in my brain, I embrace it with my heart. I understand it at a deep level. And Jesus says, "Guys, the reason the reason you reject the word of God is you just don't get it. You don't understand it." Of course, we know that Jesus Christ, the one who has been God from all eternity, he is completely omniscient. As we talk today in Veritas, Jesus has perfect knowledge of everything in the past. He has perfect knowledge of everything today. And he has perfect, exhaustive, definite foreknowledge of every event that remains to unfold in the future. He knows all things. And so before he even asked this question in verse 43, he already knows the answer. He knows... As Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, that the natural person, that is the unbeliever, does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God. Why? Because they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them, for they are spiritually discerned. Jesus knows, he is fully aware... That the unregenerate person is dead in trespasses and sins. Jesus fully understands that the unregenerate person, as Paul says in Ephesians 4, is darkened in his understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of heart. Jesus full well knows that these Pharisees are corrupt and have deceitful desires, as Paul says in Ephesians 4.22. Yet, he provides another practical reason for their lack of understanding. Look at it with me. Why do you not understand what I say? Again, he has full knowledge of what the answer is. But he goes on to give another practical answer or reason. He says it is because... You cannot bear to hear my word. You, the theologians of the day, cannot bear to hear my word. You who have graduate degrees in theology, as it were, you cannot bear to hear my word. Most most of us grew up in a home where our mothers asked us to do something. Would you go out in the yard and clean up the backyard? Would you take out the trash, Johnny? And we've all heard our mother say something like this. You're not listening. You're not hearing. You're not listening to what I'm saying. Well, what did your mom mean by that? She really, at the bottom line, at the end of the day, she wasn't talking about your hearing loss. She wasn't talking about a hearing problem. She was saying, you are not obeying me. It's going in one ear and out the other. And so the word here translated to hear as, it's un, as it unfolds in John's gospel is the word from the Greek word akuo. We all know the Greek word akuo. You walk into a beautiful sanctuary, you walk into a beautiful concert venue, and all the music lovers say the same thing. What do they say? Oh, the, the Aku'o is amazing, right? Have you ever said that? You put it this way. The acoustics in this place are unbelievable. Aku'o means to hear, but it means more than to merely hear. It means to pay attention. It means to obey. It means to listen and obey. And so Jesus says, you cannot bear to hear my word. To hear the word of God then is to be receptive to the word of God. To hear the word of God is to be attentive to the word of God. To hear the word of God is to believe and respond to the word of God. In the book of Nehemiah, in the book of Nehemiah, we find Israel... Standing for hours to hear the Word of God. The message in Nehemiah chapter 8 is bring the book. Bring the book. It would have been simply unheard of for anyone in Nehemiah's time to say, "Uh, it's getting close to noon, the pot roast is burning. You see, in Nehemiah's day, it would have been unheard of for someone who was a God follower to say, the preacher's gone overtime this morning. Why? Because they wanted to hear the Word of God. They wanted to read the Word of God. The Word of God was to be exposited in a faithful and a consistent way. And so to hear the Word of God is to listen carefully. To hear the word of God is to conform our lives to the word of God. To hear the word of God is to be transformed by the word of God. To hear the word of God, a akuo, is to obey the word of God. Here's what Jesus says to the Pharisees. You want nothing to do with it. You want no part of this. You reject the word. You are repulsed by the word. You, as the theological prodigies of the day, You reject the word of God. You reject the word of God. Well, there's a third warning sign that emerges in this passage. I want you to see that the Pharisees, not only do the Pharisees reject a walk of faith and reject the word of God, the Pharisees reject the way of truth. Look at verses 44 to 46. Jesus continues in what is becoming somewhat of a diatribe. You are of your father. And if we could put just a space there, still, these guys are thinking, yep, Abraham's my father. And Jesus says, no, you are of your father, the devil. And your will is to do your father's desires. And then Jesus unpacks a a mini resume of the devil. He was a murderer from the beginning. And he has nothing to do with the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? I tell you the truth. Why do you not believe in me? Or why do you not place faith in me? The Pharisees here reject the way of truth. Why do they do it? What is the reason for their rejection? Well, there are two very important reasons that the Pharisees reject the way of truth. One, Jesus says in verse 44, he says, you guys are devoted to the devil. You're devoted to the devil. That's why you reject the way of truth. We live in a time where many Americans hear the word devil and they think of one of two things. One, they think of Halloween and Uh, a red figure with a, a pointed tail, right? And a pitchfork. That's what they think of. If they don't think of that, they think of something quite different. They say, only crazy people believe in devils. There is no such thing. And you know what? Both views are wrong. Why? Because the Bible speaks of a devil. He is called the serpent, as we see in Genesis chapter 3. He is called the tempter. He is referred to as the evil one, the prince of demons, a thief, a roaring lion, an angel of light, Satan, Lucifer, the morning star. He is the dragon. He is Beelzebub. He is Lord of the flies. He is the accuser of the brethren. He is, as Paul says, the God of this world. He is the great deceiver. And these men are devoted to him, the devil. What does the devil do? Jesus unfolds, he unpacks a few things. He says the devil devil is a murderer. John chapter 10, verse 10 says that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus says here that he's been a murderer from the very beginning. He does not stand in truth because there's no truth in him, he is the father of lies. The 18th century preacher, the greatest theologian to ever stand on American soil, Jonathan Edwards, said this of the devil. He said, thousands go to hell daily as a result of the devil's strategy. He likes to hear the screams of the damned. You say, that's very severe. Let me say it again. The devil likes to hear the screams of the Of the damned. And that is the that is the figurehead. That is the one that the Pharisees embrace. He is the one they follow. He is their father. Edwards continues. He says that malice and cruelty are of the devil's nature. And so these men are devoted to the devil. They are not run of the mill theological students. These Pharisees are devoted to their father, the devil. But then Jesus says in verse 44, as he ups the ante, he says their desires are aligned with the devil. You're not only devoted to the devil, your desires are aligned with him. Notice what he does in verse 44. He says they have murder in their heart just like their father. These men have murder in their hearts. A.W. Pink puts it this way. They were voluntary slaves. They were voluntary slaves, I would add, and they enjoy being voluntary slaves. Secondly, they are determined to oppose the truth, Jesus says, just like their father, the devil. Thomas Watson, a great English Puritan, put it this way. This is Satan's masterpiece. If he can keep them from the belief of the truth, he is sure to keep them from the practice of it. C.S. Lewis picked up on that theme as he wrote the book Screwtape Letters. This is Satan's masterpiece. If he can keep them from the belief of the truth, he is sure to keep them from the practice of it. Jesus also says there is no truth in them. That is, there is no truth in the Pharisees. Why? Why? Because they're just like their daddy. They're just like their father, the devil. Well, there's a third reason here. There's a third reason why the Pharisees reject the way of truth. In verses 45 and 46, we see that their disposition opposes the truth. They're not only in league with the devil, their disposition actually opposes the truth. And so instead of believing the truth, instead of treasuring the truth, instead of cherishing the truth, what do they do? They oppose it, and they oppose it with every fiber of their being. Verse 46, which of you, Jesus says, convicts me of sin? That word convict comes from the Greek word that means to rebuke or to refute or to show a person his fault. And isn't that what the Pharisees are doing here? They're showing what they perceive to be the faults of. Of Jesus, And so instead of celebrating the truth, they condemn the truth. Instead of treasuring the truth, they trample on the truth, much like many people do in our culture. Every week we come together to hear the word of God. And every week there are people who hear the word of God, but they fail to heed the word of God. Every week we come and people, instead of treasuring the word of God in their hearts, they trample on the word of God. Frankly, I wish I could hear some of the conversations at lunch. Can you believe the pastor said that? The audacity for a person to say that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Listen, friend. If there is a problem at lunchtime with the message of the gospel, the problem is not with the preacher. The problem is with the triune God. The problem is with us and our relationship or lack thereof to the triune God. I want you to see a fourth warning sign with me that emerges now in verse 47, where we see that the Pharisees rejected a walk with God. And this is where you might say the rubber meets the road. Jesus lays it on thick now. He says, whoever is of God hears the word of God. Again, another contrast. He says, the reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. Now, we have seen that the Pharisees can't bear to hear the word of God, but now Jesus takes it a step further. He raises the stakes, as it were, and he shows the Pharisees the reason for their problem with aku'o, They have this acoustic problem. They have this hearing problem. He says this. You are not of God. Why? You're not friends of God. You're not interested in God. They are in all actuality violently opposed to God. These theological students, those who are at the head of their class, those who have spent a lifetime learning the Word of God and learning about God, they reject a walk with God. And don't we see that in the other world religions? You name the world religion. Hinduism, Buddhism, Taoism, Mormonism, Jehovah's Witness, one that has risen to prominence since 9-11 and the rise of ISIS is Islam. All of these world religions are religions that are geared to, as we learned several weeks ago, climb in the ladder. I will do what I can do for God. And I hope, upon all hopes, that when I get to the top rung of the ladder, God will say, welcome. And all the while, we realize that there's a crack in each rung of the ladder. It's what we refer to as works-based salvation. It's the world's religion. I will climb the ladder to do what I can do to merit favor in the eyes of God. When Jesus says this, I climbed down the ladder. The Father sent me. I came to live the life that you could never live and to die the death that each of us deserve to die. I want to close this morning by making a practical application to those of you who are not Christ followers of course, you know that in the 16th and 17th centuries, when the, when the British Puritans would step into the pulpit, no matter who the congregation was, no matter how mature, mature the congregation was, the Puritans always assumed that there was someone who didn't have a relationship with God through Jesus. That is my assumption today as well. There is someone who needs to hear the message of the gospel. This is what I would refer to as my my plea To unbelievers, my plea to unbelievers. And so we have seen the the warning signs very clearly this morning in the lives of the Pharisees. They rejected a walk of faith, they rejected the Word of God, they rejected the Word of Truth, the way of truth, and they rejected an intimate walk with God. I would argue that they are not the only ones who have failed in these respects. One writer puts it this way. The human race is now reaping what was sown at the beginning. Our first parents rejected God's truth and believed the devil's lie. Oh, the blindness and madness of unbelief. But let the truth be presented. Let men hear that God says they are lost dead in trespasses and sins, that eternal life is a gift and eternal torment is the portion of all who refuse that gift and men believe them not. Listen, if you're here today and you are like the Pharisees who are rejecting the word of God, who are rejecting the the way of truth and rejecting a walk with God, please know Please know that you must heed the warning signs. You must heed the warning signs because if you continue to reject all that God is for you in Christ, I can promise you that the days ahead will be rocky days. The sign says, rough road into the future. Your days will be fraught with difficulty. You will be set apart away from a relationship with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. And the day you breathe your last... You will go to hell forever. I understand that is a message that we are hearing less and less, especially from American pulpits. My conviction is the time has come for preachers everywhere to preach the doctrine of hell. Because without Jesus, you will spend eternity in hell, lost forever. Today is the day of salvation. Jesus came again to live the life that you could never live and to die a death that I deserve to die and that you deserve to die. As he hung on the cross between heaven and hell, he bridged the gap between sinful people and a holy God. Today is the day to turn from your sin and to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ who died for the sins of every person who would ever believe. Today, today, today is the day of salvation. I want to do something a little bit differently this morning. I still have more to share, but I want to stop right now and ask, can we pray together as a church family? First of all, to pray for those who have yet to believe, and then to take a moment, if you have realized that you have sinned before Almighty God, and today you need to trust Him to ask for him to forgive you of all your sins. I want to give you that opportunity to, to do that right now. Father, we pray as a church family for anyone who is here right now who needs to turn from their sin and turn to Jesus. We pray for the person who recognizes that they have committed cosmic treason before a holy God, that today is the day of salvation. If you're here and, are not in a right relationship with God through Christ would you would you cry out to the God of the universe God I confess that I'm a sinner I confess that I have violated your holy law and if I'm very honest I have enjoyed doing it but today I've been cut to the quick I've heard the message of the gospel that your son Jesus came to die in my place to bridge the gap between sinful people and a holy God so that I might have a right relationship with the God of the universe so that my sins would be forgiven so that I would enjoy eternal life. And so I consciously choose to turn from my sin. I consciously choose to place trust in you, Jesus, to forgive me of all my sins. And now I ask that you would give me the, the strength and the power to live a Christian life that honors the great God of the universe. Thank you. For saving me. In Jesus' name. Amen. Now I want to press forward and move from a plea for unbelievers to a plea for believers. And we have seen the characteristics. We have seen the warning signs of a person who is, who is filled with unbelief. And these are warning signs that point to a person who is yet to, to be touched by the grace of God. This morning, I want to conclude by turning each of these warning signs into worship signs. The warning signs will be transformed into worship signs. And so, believers in Christ, disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ, may you be challenged this morning with four specific pleas. I want to encourage every Christian man, every Christian woman, every Christian boy, every Christian girl, To live a life that is characterized first by a walk of faith. By a walk of faith. 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says, We walk by faith, not by sight. I want to share a story with you of something that happened probably about three weeks ago. Someone came to uh, the campus here at Christ Fellowship and probably had no idea that I was I was personally discouraged by a, a series of events that had taken place over the last several days. and this godly woman who came, I don't even think she came to talk to me. I think there were some other things on her plate, some some business or ministry she needed to take care of. and this person knows who she is and I, I thank her for this exchange. Not knowing that I was frustrated and on the brink of discouragement and actually very discouraged. She said these words. She says, my husband and I have talked and we have determined we will walk by faith and not by sight. And you have no idea. You have no idea what that did to me. I mean, that's a verse I memorized when I was four years old, I think. Walk by faith and not by sight. But for a a godly woman to say, pastor, my husband and I, we have talked about it. We're going to walk by faith, not by sight. Would that not be a good theme for Christ Fellowship in the days ahead? I'll tell you what. The last 18 months have been rough days. They have been rough days personally for me. They have been rough days corporately for this church family. But I have something in my car. It's something you all have in your car. It's called the rearview mirror. You know what the rearview mirror is good for? It's looking for stuff that happened 18 months ago. And guess what? Paul tells us in the book of Philippians, it's in the past. And we're pressing on in the future. We will walk by faith, not by sight. Hebrews 11, 6 says, without faith, it is impossible to To please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. That walk of faith, by definition, is a walk that relies on the third member of the Godhead. The walk of faith involves walking by the Spirit, relying on the Spirit, having a heart that is quickened by the Spirit and softened by the Spirit. Again, the British Puritan Thomas Watson helps us. He says, The Holy Spirit illumines the mind and subdues the will. The will is like a garrison which holds out against God. The Spirit with sweet violence, the Spirit with sweet violence conquers or rather changes it, making the sinner willing to have Christ upon any terms to be ruled by him as well as be saved by him. Watson goes on, Faith, though it does not take away the life of sin, yet it takes away the love of sin, faith melts our will into God's. It runs at God's call. If God commands duty, faith obeys. And today I got an email. A list of the top 20 best-selling Christian books of the last year. Many of the names on that list were false teachers. What has happened with the church? What's wrong with us? Why will we not return to to the Puritans, to the Reformers, to to those godly writers who tell it straight, who say that the Spirit with sweet violence conquers, rather changing it, making the sinner willing to have Christ on any terms? I would argue that the walk of faith involves returning to our godly forefathers. The walk of faith involves reading the right kind of theological material and being enriched and challenged and edified. My plea for you today, my friends, is to walk that walk of faith. Well, there's a second challenge. The second challenge is that our lives would be characterized By this book, by the Word of God. Oh, that the Word of God would be our highest authority. May it be the lamp unto our feet and the light unto our path. May you treasure the Word of God in your heart. High school students, junior high students, grade school students, may you take the Word of God. Take the Word of God into the classroom. Take the Word of God and, and read it in the cafeteria. And someone tells you that's illegal to bring the word of God into the Bible? Bring the word of God into school? Have them give me a call. The word of God can be taken anywhere. It can be taken anywhere. I remember the first trip I made to Belarus. My best friend and I traveled to the city of Moscow. It had been my lifelong dream to have my picture taken in Red Square with a Bible in my hand. And we got a chance to do that. The word of God is not shaken. The word of God is not chained. We, we take it. We are people of the book. And so may the love for the word of God lead to a hatred of sin and a deep and abiding love for the living God. May you hunger and thirst for the word of God. May it illumine your mind. May it soften your heart. May the Word of God be your source of truth that will guide every thought, every dream, every ministry, everything in life. There's a third challenge. I want to challenge you to live a life that is in accord with the way of truth. May your love of truth fuel your resolve as you enter the marketplace of ideas. May your love for the truth expose the deeds of darkness in your home, in your school. And in your workplace. And may your love for the truth be centered on the most important person in the universe. His name is the Lord Jesus Christ. And may truth undergird every facet of your life. And provide strength for every trial. Every challenge you face. And every obstacle you endure. May your love for the truth send the devil. Where the devil belongs. Back to hell. And please know that because followers of Christ are walking in the way of truth, this indeed sets them apart. It sets them apart. Every time someone trusts Christ, and I have a chance to visit with them, I typically tell them, before you became a Christian, you really didn't matter much to the devil. Now, you have a target on your back. There's a three-volume set entitled The Christian in Complete Armor. These are some of the most important books that Charles Haddon Spurgeon had in his library. Very readable treatments of spiritual warfare written by uh, William Gurnall. Listen to what this Puritan said. He said, Satan's conquests are limited to ignorance, graceless souls who have neither strength nor sense to oppose him. They are born imprisoned in sin. All he has to do is keep them there. But... When he assaults a saint, when he assaults a Christian whose freedom was won at the cross once for all, then he is laying siege to a city with gates and bars. Sooner or later, he must retreat in shame. That is the devil. Unable to pluck the weakest saint out of the Savior's hand. Doubt your own strength, but never doubt the strength of Jesus. In your gravest conflicts with Satan, trust him to bring you out of the devil's dominion with a high hand in spite of all the force and the fury of hell. We as God's people are committed to living lives that are in accord with the way of truth. Finally, I want to challenge you to live a life that is a life where you walk with God. Like Enoch walked with God may the membership at Christ Fellowship be a household of faith whose members walk with God. May people in our community see men and women and boys and girls and say, there's a person who walks with God. May that walking involve a a vibrant life of prayer, a deep reflection in the word of God, transparency with God that results in a fresh resolve and, uh, an ability to minister effectively to people and may walking with God involve consistent and ongoing repentance where sin is hated and holiness is love could you imagine at Christ Fellowship if we were able to characterize our church family as a church who hated sin and loved holiness can you imagine if the community saw us as a church that hated sin and loved holiness? What would happen tonight tonight 's a big night, and I want to reemphasize what Ken mentioned a moment ago and invite you all to come to the dinner tonight where we begin to unpack the strategic plan. We will not be able to unpack the plan its entirety. We would be here all night, but we will begin to highlight. The high points of the plan and begin to see everything that can happen at Christ Fellowship in the days ahead as we focus on the mission of the church to develop disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. And here's a theme that we're over and over and over again. It's we're about discipleship. Every decision, every strategy, every class, every discipleship group, every small group, every ministry will be geared to answering the question, will it help fulfill the mission? That is to say, will it help make disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ? Everything is geared to discipleship. And so that's the essence of what I'm challenging each of us with today. To walk by faith, to live according to the word of God to live lives in accordance with the word of truth, and to be men and women and boys and girls who walk with God. These are, the, these are the worship signs that will fuel our resolve for living the Christian life all to the glory of God. Will you pray with me? Our Father, I pray that you would do a work in our lives today where you would show us vividly uh, what the Pharisees missed. God, I pray that you would uh, make us intimately acquainted with the four warning signs that we studied this morning, that we would turn those warning signs on their head, we would turn the warning signs into worship signs, where they would not be signs of unbelief anymore, but they would be signs that point to a lifestyle of worship the reason for our creation, that we would glorify God and enjoy him forever. Now, Lord, as we come uh, to the end of our service, as we conclude by partaking of the Lord's Supper, God, I pray that there would be fresh repentance that would take place in our hearts, that we would be satisfied with all that God is for us in Christ, and that the elements before us would serve as reminders, the The bread as a reminder of the Lord Jesus Christ and his body. And the juice, a reminder, a vivid reminder of the the blood that he shed on the cross so that we would be saved from hell, so that our sins would be forgiven. So we come together at this point. We conclude um, in worship. We conclude with hearts that are filled with faith, hearts that are filled with excitement as we press forward into the future. We give you the glory in advance. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you are visiting with us here this morning, we would love to invite you. To- Jesus said, whoever is of God, hears the words of God. Amen. So we look forward as a church family. would Would it be exciting if we were a church who truly was of God, who heard the words of God, who treasured the words of God, who loved the words of God, who studied the words of God, who memorized the word of God. May we treasure this word in our hearts uh, today. Let's pray together. Father, help us to see the warning signs. May the warning signs be uh, miraculously transformed into worship signs. As we love you with every fiber of our being, we give you the glory. We thank you today for the gospel message, the gospel message that uh, makes up uh, Christ's fellowship. Everything we say and do should revolve around that message as we have a passion to see disciples developed all for the glory of God. We pray these things in your worthy name. Amen.